Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you today from the beautiful city of Sydney. Uh, Yes, it is a great day and a very nice day in Sydney, even though it's nighttime at home. And it's probably yesterday at home, or maybe it's tomorrow. We're We're still getting used to that. But our primary focus today is going to be on our RVing experience or camper van experience in New Zealand. And it was uh, 30 days ago that we picked up our camper vans and i think the last episode we were just in the process of picking them up and uh, going on this fabulous adventure we would strongly recommend uh this approach to visiting new zealand um it's a country ideally suited for camping there there are many holiday parks as they call them Uh, we found that the top tens were particularly comfortable but there were many other um camping places and boondocking is also strongly encouraged in this called freedom camping (gasps) But, you know, first I wanted to uh, say thank you to a couple of people uh, who have uh, sent us some emails. And uh, thank you, Richard, for sending us a new song, which we will be debuting in the not-too-distant future in one of the podcasts. But we just don't have time this time to include it in this episode of the podcast. And we want to say thank you to our Australian friends who have um, communicated with us. And we're anxious to speak with them and to listen to them. And in the future episodes, you're going to hear from some of our Australian friends because they will be visiting us in person. It's just so cool to have listeners all over the world. And we're going to do our darndest to visit you all. And we are traveling full-time with another couple who you'll hear from in a few minutes, our traveling companions, Barb and Gary. And they have uh, traveled all of the 5,200 kilometers or 3,700 miles that we traveled while in New Zealand. New Zealand is made up of uh, two islands, the North and the South Island, and they're very different from each other. And the climate is very different because it's a long, slender country. So we thought we planned this quite well, patting ourselves on the backs, and that we arrived um, just as the school holidays were coming to an end because we knew that the campgrounds would be less busy with families at that point. And we flew immediately from Auckland to the South Island because that's the one closer to Antarctica where (laughs) it's going to get cold earlier in our spring. Closer to Antarctica, but don't be afraid. It's not really in Antarctica, but it is the base camp where uh, Arctic expeditions do leave from. And that, that is kind of interesting because the Arctic Center is there, which you can take a tour of. And I would say that in New Zealand, we saw um, much of the same kinds of scenery that you would see in the United States, yes. but in a much, much more, more compact, compact manner. Exactly. Um, so you would go out and drive for an hour or two, and the scenery would radically change from green and lush and vineyards to a desert to glaciers and mountains. It really had it all. Yes, and I think the way to see all of this stuff is through uh, is through the, the window of an RV. Uh, we had actually very good experiences with the the RVs, and we should maybe mention a little bit about these vehicles. Um, of course, uh, it is scary to talk about driving on the left-hand side if you're from the United States. But you did very well. And as uh, Gary, who will be speaking to you a little bit later, mentions that uh, indeed he was uh, afraid, but uh, 
was able to overcome that and found it to be quite uh, quite easy to drive, even though it was his first time in a left-hand drive country. It really seemed that what was more challenging than driving on the yeah, left was, was the, some of the road conventions. Well, not only that, but the stick shift was and, a bit of a problem. And um, when you came to the one-lane bridges, that was yes. daunting. As, and because New Zealand only has four million people in total, exactly. and one million of them live in Auckland, uh, the rest of the country is quite empty, and they really don't see the road, the need for a lot of road infrastructure. Right. So the roads are uh, blacktop, two-lane, uh, sometimes a shoulder, sometimes not. And the vehicles that we were driving were um, about uh, seven meters long, and that's about 23 feet. And, uh, you know, fully equipped, equipped, they were wide, but with no slide. So that uh, in terms of the vehicles on the road, they were among the biggest of the camper vans that you could rent. Um, <laughs> which gets back to, could you put four people on one of these things? You couldn't put four Americans, <laughs> maybe four Out Kiwis. Out of our girth, anyway. <laughs> and, of course, another thing that made this trip doable for me is the fact that we brought our GPS with oh, us. Oh, yes. Um, Artie was Ken, wonderful. Ken bought the maps for New Zealand. Even though the roads are well marked and I had a good atlas, I could not have done it without Artie. Good old Artie. Uh, the maps for the GPS cost about $125, and we would strongly recommend that you... If you're thinking of coming to New Zealand, that you seriously consider buying the maps, because it's it's a real blessing. And even even the very first thing that <laughs> they give you no instructions on driving on the left. Like the here's guy, the keys. Goodbye. Here's the key. Goodbye. Right. He says, um, well, you go left here and right here and this here to go to the to the, go to the grocery store. And that's of course one of the first things you want to do is you have this nice refrigerator and uh, these pantries that are empty, and you want to put stuff in it so that you can that you can do your daily eating and stuff. We must have followed some of his instructions, but not all of them. And uh, we whizzed past the grocery store before we knew we were there. But the GPS helped us turn around and get ourselves back where we needed to be. And speaking of grocery stores, we found uh, buying food supplies was uh, easy and uh, just about like it is in the United States. Many foods that were familiar and a few that weren't, which is what keeps it interesting. And we enjoyed the Weetabix. <laughs> Which is and, kind the, of, and the Marmite. And the Marmite, which is kind of uh, shredded wheat uh, that you would drink, or that you'd eat as a breakfast cereal. And the Marmite is a, a butter substitute a, for your... Well, a spread you put on bread. Right. Very thinly. Yeah. Well, all of these fabulous things we learned. So we started in Christchurch, and we headed west towards the mountains, which were uh, we could see in the distance, and we headed uh, for the some of the most famous spots. Fox Glacier and the, the Franz Fox Josef Glacier. Glacier. And many of the lakes are spectacularly beautiful because yes. they contain um, the snow melt from the glaciers, which has that thin powder that the glaciers grind off the rocks suspended in it, and it reflects the, right, the light in an aquamarine color that yeah, is lakes almost like we'd unnatural never seen before. And even when I looked at them on Google Earth, they looked the same color, and you'd think it was fake, but it was actually real. Uh, if you take a look at our blog, you'll see the the details of the trip and see some of these pictures. And the blog is at mytripjournal.com slash wiseman14. I, I should add that um, almost one quarter of the South 
Island is National Park. So if you are a person who likes to do outdoorsy things, you will love the South Island um, because no no area is particularly far from the ocean. There's a lot of sea kayaking, a lot of trekking and walking from and hut even to hut. more extreme things like uh, all parasailing over the place. And, and bungee jumping. This and is the country where bungee jumping was invented. Now, yes, our big extreme activity was luging. <laughs> Well, luging is something you do in the winter, right? On a sled. On a sled. Well, they have put little wheels on the sled and kind of built a track that goes down the side of a mountain. So you go coasting down the side of a mountain kind of like uh, the... Like the sleds do, but you have control over your speed and and how you take the curves. Yes. So in actuality, that's not very very much of a challenge but that's the best we could do but we did take several gondolas overlooking the the mountains and uh, we walked up to glaciers you know it was kind of like uh, alaska i would say in some ways because uh, the this the spectacular scenery we were there at the right time of the year that's for sure we had great weather we had great weather and the weather was temperate um we did have to have the heat on every once in a while and and the RV had a very interesting heater. I liked it because it was so quiet. Yeah, yeah, a diesel heater because our RV was all diesel. It uses the fuel right out of the, the, the gas tank. It came from boats, I guess, but it was a diesel heater with a regular thermostat on the wall, but it was quite nice. And I was surprised our RV also had a TV, um, and with the antenna on the roof, we could always suck in one to four stations um, and have some connection with the rest of the world, even though we are missing the news from back home. Missing the news from back home, that's for sure. Um, It'll be good to be here in a big city where we can catch up on all of the exciting events back in the United States. And an area in the South Island that you definitely don't want to miss is uh, the Queen's town area which is alpine Mm -hmm. and has a lot of the adrenaline filled activities that new zealand is famous for and a beautiful alpine setting as well and of course as we drove around the country we saw a lot of sheep although not as many as we saw 25 years ago and we came to understand that most of the mutton that was being raised here was sent to great britain and once britain joined the common market they had to buy uh, their mutton from other european countries and new zealand lost uh, that customer so there aren't as many sheep as there used to be but there's still i think seven sheep for every person who lives here so we spent a 16 of our 30 days in the south island and it is the most scenic of the two islands but uh, it definitely is uh, not the only island and we took a, a ferry that goes between the two islands and um, put our rig on it put our rig on it which was about uh, 3 hours total time and cost us about uh, 160 or 70 dollars new zealand dollars no no oh, real dollars no, it's over 300 new zealand dollars Ouch. Well, I forgot that little fact. One of the good things about coming here, which we should mention, is the fact that the New Zealand dollar is worth only 50 cents U.S. At and, the moment. At the moment. And, and, when, and we when we started planning this trip, right. it was worth considerably more. 78 cents. Yeah. So that we have essentially a 30% discount on everything that we did in New Zealand over what it was just a few months ago. And that's a huge plus in terms of what you can do. And we should also mention about the fuel. Um, we were very pleased to find that... As we mentioned, I think that the diesel was much cheaper than than gasoline. The reason why is because they don't tax diesel at the pump. At the pump, 
in order to have a fair price, they have a tax a on the vehicle, tax. road use tax, and you have to have a sticker on your vehicle that uh, allows you to drive uh, a certain number of miles in the time period, and so that that's paid essentially by the RV rental company, which is which is paid by us. <laughs> well, eventually it's paid by us, but it's it's nice when we're there because essentially we got a a, a third off on all the fuel that we used. Um, which turned out to be, by the way, um, we were getting 16.3 miles to the gallon with our little diesel, our four-cylinder diesel uh, stick shift, which is, you know, okay. We spent about uh, $450 on, on diesel, which, of course, is one full. One tank full at home. <laughs> one tank full at home. And it wasn't easy driving. There was a lot of uphill and downhill, um, yes. very few straightaways. Yeah, and very few... Um, uh, motorways that would be considered to be expressways like we find at home certainly um <laughs> as the person doing the driving we we had uh, some taxing days because of the all of the you had to pay really close attention and the roads uh, we were not the largest vehicle on the road and you would come up against these uh 18 wheelers that had a second trailer on the back on a hairpin curve, on a hairpin curve <laughs> because they had to deliver their goods and oh, coming around a corner without a guardrail <laughs> Finding one of those guys there. Lots of you white better knuckles. be paying attention. <laughs> but we're here to um, to say that we were we paying attention fine. and we did just fine. Another thing I really liked about New Zealand is we found that we really didn't need to make reservations uh, for yes, anything. We did do some at home because we didn't know quite yeah. what to expect. Yeah. Um, but it was very easy just to show up at the next campground. And um, most everybody came into those campgrounds fairly late in the day because they, like us, were using their vehicle all day long for touring. And so between 5 and 8, everybody would come in for the day and the campground worker would work real hard checking everybody in but we never needed a reservation and even for the ferry again we made a reservation but we probably could have just driven on for all things uh, we were very worried about uh, peak tourist season and everybody said you better make reservations and so we were kind of worried about where we would be staying and so we did make reservations and we joined the top 10 campground website so that we had the top 10 discount card and we could we knew where the top 10 parks were top 10 is kind of like KOA KOA. so that uh, we then were able to uh, take advantage of the top 10 parks but we didn't really need to worry about where to stay because the, the, they were nicely full, but not overly full. And we should say a few things about the North Island as well. Yeah, Probably the city that charmed me the most that I had never heard of uh, was one called Napier. Napier is on the southeast coast, and it's in the wine-growing region. But what really made it fabulous for me was that it was uh, like a moment in time because they Captured. had a lot of art deco buildings that were built in the 20s after they had had a huge earthquake that knocked everything down. And they have done a good job of preserving these buildings and it really is a special looking place. And they had uh, kind of come upon being an Art Deco city, an Art Deco center by accident Uh, but sometime about 20 years ago they decided that they were going to restore some of the buildings and a movement came about that they would restore these Art Deco buildings and it became kind of a community spirit sort of thing and now the whole town is is a historical monument to the 19th 1920s and it's and uh, this Art Deco uh, cruise ship stopped there and uh, people from all over the world come there as a tourist center and of course it has a little bit of wine too which is also good and another area that I really enjoyed was the very tippy toppy 
northern part of the North Island, which was called 90 Mile Beach, although it really was more like a 60 mile beach. It's an incredible piece of sand. 90 miles. It's hard packed like the sand on the beach at Daytona. Yes. And you can drive on it. And unlike Daytona, there are no buildings or anything to interrupt. Five places to get onto the beach in the 60 miles that we drove. And the beach is, at low tide, it's 200 meters wide. So it's this huge, flat expanse of just plain sand and other natural wonders, you know, shells and birds and all sorts of uh, other interesting things to look at. Unfortunately, as a rental vehicle person, we were not allowed to drive on the beach. So, ironically, we took a huge (laughs) motor bus (laughs) tour. They were allowed to to ride on the beach. And another fun thing in that tour was they took us sand sledding uh, and they gave us like saucer saucer sleds. The hardest part was getting to the top of the sand dunes so you could sand ba- s- sled back down. Yes. That was very fun. And of course the, the main pl- place that everybody goes in the North Island is the Rotorua area. Um, it's a thermal area, one of four in the world. Made us think a little bit of Yellowstone with geysers and mud pots. It's only and- one of four thermal areas then, as you say, and that's, that's way cool. We've been to two of them now. And another thing that's fun to do there is take advantage of the Maori culture. Uh, the Maori are the indigenous people of New Zealand who they think uh, came here from Polynesia and unlike some other more primitive groups in this part of the world, they have um, flourished uh, living alongside the Europeans and their language is taught in school. We even caught their own TV station where they were doing the same um, news broadcasts that we would do in English in the Maori language and they have a lot of cultural activities in the Rotorua area including a hangi which is kind of like a luau where they cook the food yeah, you in gotta, this compares, hot steaming water. This compares to Hawaii in many ways because the native Hawaiians have a, a very rich and, and textured culture, and so the Maoris here have a, the same sort of thing. And these they invite tourists in to see the the events and the the traditions that they have. It's it's very nice to see these local people that have maintained their culture. Well, I guess we were pretty enthusiastic about New Zealand, and we would recommend it to anyone. I can't imagine anybody not enjoying this country. Well, if you enjoy the outdoors and if you're a camper like we are, uh, we saw every type of vehicle, and uh, we had kind of the the top-of-the-line vehicle, but you could certainly do it with a tent. Uh, All of the parks had tenting facilities, and you could do it with a pop-up van. All of these kinds of things are available, and it's kind of backpacker's heaven, I would say. We, of course, are not big on hiking and that sort of stuff, but if you're interested in doing hiking... This is the place they call it trekking, or they call it tramping. <laughs> so if you feel like tramping through the woods, and they have huts that you can uh, stop at along the way so that you don't have to carry all your food. And uh, apparently you have to make reservations for those long in advance, but uh, we certainly didn't. And if you like to walk up to and on glaciers, this is the place to come. And it did sound like we didn't necessarily have to have a reservation for our camper either, although we're much too conservative. We yeah. wouldn't fly this far without knowing that we had arrangements made for when we got here. I think here. now we would. Um, but it was quite obvious that you could get some really good deals just flying into town, either Auckland or Christchurch, depending on which island you wanted to tour. 
and pick up a camping vehicle of some sort for um, a good price. Yes, I would say so, absolutely. So if you're a free spirit, you could do it that way as well. Exactly. So if you're interested in the details of our daily uh, experiences on the road, you can take a look at the blog, which we mentioned earlier, or uh, give us an email, and we will happy be happy to answer any questions uh, about our experiences in New Zealand because we like to share with you guys. And we've only... I'm sure you're very tired of hearing my voice and Ken's voice every day, so we Indeed. thought we would talk to some fresh new voices with fresh new Experienced campers. About camping in New Zealand. And first we want them to tell us a little bit about their camping experience. Well, we should mention this is Barb and Gary, and they are our traveling companions, and they've been with us for the entire trip and will be with us for the duration, both poor, New Zealand and Australia. It's poor Barb and Gary. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Torture every minute. But we don't usually travel with, with uh, another couple, and it's been uh, a nice experience having some folks to share our experiences with firsthand. So, Barb and Gary. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> The, the first thing we noticed was uh, these units were quite small. <laughs> and whoa, they, whoa, whoa. You've got to talk about uh, oh, your experiences back home. Oh, you know, oh back you, home. Give, give people a perspective. How experienced a camper oh, you are. I see. Well, we've been uh, uh, RVing for about the last uh, seven years. Uh, started with a Class C and ended up going to a bigger Class A and now to an even bigger Class A. We have a 41-foot with four slide-outs. And if you remember last year, I mentioned uh, somebody uh, unspecified who bought uh, an RV at, uh, or was going to buy an RV at an unspecified uh, dealer. (laughs) Uh, You now have a 2008 Monaco, right? Yes. So this is the voice that goes with that story. We uh, uh, purchased a a new Monaco online uh, in the southern state of Florida, and we're told that it had the old engine and all this kind of good stuff, and we immediately raced down there and bought it and discovered it didn't have the old engine. Very disappointing. And But you did take your brand-new coach to Mexico well, with, the, with the, 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 what turned out to be a new engine. Yeah, we, we did. We, uh, we refused that coach, and then we ordered a uh, one completely to our specs and picked it up on our way to Mexico. So, Barb, what's the difference between your old coach and your new, and your new Monaco? A little bit more room, different layout, four slides instead of three slides. Um, the kitchen configuration is wonderful. So you're used to this giant RV at home, and with you lots move of foo-foos. And, yeah, with lots of with all of the little accessories as we have seen, and now you move to this rental camper van in New Zealand. Very small, but um, it was convenient for what we needed it for. Um, a little times it got a little too tight, but you go outside and walk the park. So you had a full kitchen and a bathroom, and, and how was the RV configured, this, this little one? It was a typical Class C to me. The floor plan is the what you're talking plan, about. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the rear of it uh, was your dinette, and you took the table and stretched it between the seats and laid the t- cushion down, and that was your bed, which was kind of uh, lumpy and not 
kind well, of like the a usual sort, the usual sort of foam mattress kind of thing that uh, these RVs are famous for. Anybody who has a dinette that that turns into a bed knows exactly what we're talking about here. Only this was pretty much of a queen size bed overall. And while this unit was small for our practices, it was the ideal size for the New Zealand roads. And I wouldn't have wanted to drive anything much bigger on some of the roads that we went on. We did see a few larger RVs in some of the campgrounds, but I had a feeling they hardly ever went anywhere. So how was it to yes. cook? You had to conserve and plan ahead as to who was going to be in what spot. Eating out was the best part. <laughs> <laughs> but tell us what, what kind of what kind of uh, cooking facilities did this have? It had a, a four burner stove, and what? one of the burners was electric. The electric worked out good because you uh, conserved on your gas, uh-huh. and we used the electric burner a lot. Whereas we didn't use it at all. I don't think we had it on even once. The real treat was the plunger coffee maker. Ooh, which is very different than anything we found in the United States. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. <laughs> so how does that work? Um, well, not very well. <laughs> <laughs> you pour the, uh, you put the coffee in this glass container, and then you boil the water, and you pour it in, stir it up a little, and you put this uh, plunger on the top of it, which has a... A plunger with a sieve on it, basically a strainer, and you push that down, and it separates the coffee uh, from the grounds. Grounds from from the or it attempts to separate them from the the liquid. Yeah, Which, but every time when you emptied your cup, there was always a little bit of lots of dregs in the bottom. <laughs> but it made uh, coffee as close to what we are familiar with as closer than Nescafe. That's closer for sure. than yeah. The the real alternative was instant or this what they call filtered. And these kind in New Zealand, they have a lot of different kinds of coffee. We could buy a tall black, a double white, a long something or other, and <laughs> it was as full of a palette of terminology as Starbucks has, but all of the words were totally different and alien to us. Yes, so we 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 bought filtered. You know, Ken, back to the RV, I think the the, need, the strangest thing, the hardest thing to get used to was really the, the little displacement engines, which are uh-huh. turbocharged diesels, which are very quirky on a mm-hmm. power curve, plus a six-speed manual shifting with my left hand. Right, and that's a good – well, I mean, we, we do want to talk about driving on the left, that's for sure, because – Well, driving on the left wasn't as much of a problem as I, I thought. What really? The real problem was is when you're going to make a right-hand turn, we're used to looking to see if something is – coming from the side mm-hmm. and it's not it's coming from the front which makes it a little yeah. more wicked to make a, a right hand turn but just as a pers- give, to give our, our listeners a perspective this was your first time in a left hand drive country yes. i mean literally you stepped off the plane yes and had never even been in a country that had had left hand drive so what, what do you think well, it's, it's feasible it, yeah it, 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 one nice thing about new zealand though they they clearly mark the uh-huh. intersections and my biggest problem was when we went across a one-lane bridge which there were many of is i wanted to stay to the right but they had a nice little arrow there telling you to get over on the left again so it, it was pretty pretty well uh, marked what kind of bridges the one-lane bridges. <laughs> <laughs> i've never seen a one-lane bridge with a never uh, seen a one-lane bridge no 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 with it well i have but I, i've never seen one with a a passing uh deal built oh, into the middle of it where yeah, if passing, somebody has started it on bay, it before you got bay. there they have a yeah a passing bay where they can ones. pull over and you can slide by each other and continue on the one-lane bridge in new zealand uh one-lane bridges uh, even on major highways is like the norm Especially in the South Island. Especially in the South Island, right. 
And they have these neat little signs before you get there. It tells you who has the, the yeah, right, uh, of right of way, which may or may not be. <laughs> and I felt that uh, on the one-lane bridges that there was no way that anybody was going to get by the side. I mean, it wasn't like it was a lane and a half. It was one lane, and you had to drive right down the middle in order not to. Well, as the person hanging out on the left, I felt that <laughs> my behind well, was going to be scraping the edge of the bridge many times. So, Barb, what was your most harrowing experience <laughs> driving, as a passenger? Her eyes widened. <laughs> well... I don't know if everyone knows, but New Zealand is mountains and no guardrails. And when you're sitting on that passenger seat looking down thousands of feet and you're catching your breath because you don't want to scream, um, it got pretty hair-raising. But it was scenic. (laughs) Oh, the views were just absolutely phenomenal. Some of those mountain roads were, were like the rides at Disney on the runaway rail car. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we have felt the, the challenge of these uh, vehicles and the roads because these vehicles were about 7 meters, which is, uh, I think, 23 feet, which is one of the larger of the motorhomes that you can rent. I think it was advertised to sleep four, and, oh, well. and in my mind it would be four Kiwis or two Americans. <laughs> There's no way. Because what would you use your overhead for? Our luggage. There was. We had four suitcases, large suitcases, and where do you put them? There, there isn't a closet. There, there isn't any under storage. So that had to go in the overhead bunk. Yeah, and that that was our experience also. So for four adults to be in this vehicle, although we did see one group, that that one campground, there were four adults in one of these, and they were from England, so they were obviously traveling. Yeah, I call that a commune. <laughs> yeah, almost. and they, but they were they were of the elderly variety like us. Yeah, they must have been really good friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really good friends. Um, so let's go back to the amenities on the inside. So uh, the kitchen had other things too that were slightly different than you found at home. The brother was great, other than it was so small. So you, you you don't ask Barb about the cooking. Oh, I was I doing see. the cooking. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was hard to. It wasn't in the position you would think. It was kind of to the back, so you had to put the stuff to the back of the broiler pan. Because in our RV, we've never broiled. But that's because, I guess, we have a foreman. Which we don't have, take, or yeah, we go we outside to barbecue. Yeah. Uh, this was, that, that was another interesting feature, is, is that nobody barbecued like we do. They use these... Well, I, can you blame them? Look at that barbecue. It was a, well, that's a what flat I'm saying. plate that heated underneath it. It was essentially this a was, big frying This was pan. installed permanently at the campground. Yeah, they had yeah. barbecues. And so some of them were the, coin Things operated. they call barbecues, but we wouldn't call them barbecues. A griddle, maybe. It was like a yeah, griddle. Like a griddle with, with a, a, a hole in the middle for the, the grease. grease to go down in. And, and, and you had to pay money to fire it up yeah. with the gas. It was, was kind of very unique and different. And but something we should see. So the campgrounds then. You, Barb, you are familiar. You, you did uh, use the campgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> the campgrounds were tight, small, um, but the top tens Wonderful. The top ten is. The top ten is a chain, uh, kind of like our KOA. They were clean. The bathrooms were very, very clean. The laundry facilities were very clean, um, which is essential for me. And how are they different than uh, the uh, a, K- a KOA in the United States? 
the community because kitchens. I had. The, the, they all had. Yeah, everybody, uh, the campers all used the community kitchens. Who were this was a, this is an un, this yeah. something we've never you never see in the United States. Yeah, there were ranges and refrigerators and oh, for everybody to use, and everybody just came came and go in there you and know, did their cooking and yeah. whatever. Yeah, and although we had uh, basically cooked in our RVs right. nearly all the time, except when we used Barb's strategy of going out to eat. <laughs> well, well, you got to remember, Barb is a charter member of the Leo Club. You know, let's eat out. <laughs> um, lots of people would, because they were in much smaller, and this was something else we kind of want to talk about is some of the other vehicles that we saw. Um, lots of people were in much, most people were in much smaller vehicles than yeah. ours, and so they didn't have the cooking capabilities they didn't have a microwave or the other uh, the broiler and the four burner stove and so they had to uh, use the kitchen which was a nice communal experience i think and most of the campgrounds we stayed in also had camping type facilities that were cabins uh, that didn't uh, yes. have kitchens yeah. in them either so all the people that stayed in those little hotel rooms i don't know quite what to call them also well, could cook communally in that same area yeah, yeah and it was surprising that this was called a holiday park because that's the term that the new zealanders use for a campground but it was more than a campground like that we think about because yeah. it had not only campsites of two varieties they had electric and electric and non-electric and then they had multiple kinds of housing from motel rooms up to little cottages where you could cook and lots of tents oh yeah yeah many 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 yeah we saw lots of tents and especially on the weekends and other motorized vehicles we saw everything from a station wagon to to a (laughs) but they had what was called a spaceship did you see the spaceship is uh it looks like a an extended uh toyota van but the back flips up and this huge tent thing comes out the people had high top campers they had no slide outs i love the one though in uh I forget which park it was, that somebody had built on an old truck chassis. It had wavy yeah, cedar built. siding on it, same as I have on my house. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was an arc, but it didn't look like it had been moved very much. Yeah, so the, the campgrounds we found very different, and, of course, the hookups were very different. Uh, very different. Very different. Uh, the electric, of course, down here is 240 volt yeah. as opposed to 120 at home. Uh, the water is at the at the post there. Nobody hooks up water for city connection. You just fill your tank. And and one of the reasons why is because that's your only transportation. And that I consider this to be somewhat of a limitation. That's your only transportation. So that when you leave, you gotta pull up stakes and get undo out of everything. Undo everything. So the only thing we did up was yeah. the electric. And then there was the famous uh, bathroom cassette. <laughs> oh yes. Well, okay. <laughs> now that you're getting into the to the other end of stuff, <laughs> which which really you know I I was had more fear of it until I actually saw the thing. I mean it's it's no big deal. Uh, uh-huh. It's very small, of course. But tell us what it is. Well, it's it's a. At home, it's call for it, the it's, black it's water. like the blue dog for the black water. And it's very small and it slides into the door on the outside. And uh, when you open the the toilet inside, it it dumps it's everything direct, into it's this. And you, it's on wheels. You can pull it out and Our walk source, it down yeah. to the dump station. So yeah. it's the black water tank that's removable from the side of the RV. Tell us yes. about that. <laughs> and, it, and it had little wheels on and it. it had so little you wheel. could, yeah. You could wheel it your was, um, Detroitus down the street and, yeah. and dump it. But rather it was a directly, taking... you, you, you emptied yourself right into it. 
<laughs> it, was, it wasn't like there was another tank that you emptied into this thing. And if you'd been uh, driving for a while We're and it was kind of warm out, the first time you opened the blade, it, uh, you kind of stand back a little bit. It wanted to pop back a little so bit. So basically, uh, we didn't use the the bathroom facilities. I mean, we, we showered elsewhere. We showered at the... And we used the uh, cassette toilet for only... Well, emergency use. Yeah. Emergency the, the bathroom use. itself was uh, but, hardly big enough to turn around and let alone sit. <laughs> but I did uh, just to try it out. I took a shower in ours, and we had uh, the hot water was really nice. Uh, that worked good, and it was uh, ours was electric and gas, and uh, the water pressure was fine. It had a, the usual sort of water pump that cycled on and off that we're used to, and we had a decent amount of water. I'd say we had something over a hundred liters. The furnace also impressed me yeah. because it was so quiet uh, compared to some of the ones we've had in <laughs> some our of previous RVs. It was quiet, Martha. Mine lost its muffler. <laughs> so this was this was an unusual situation. Um, and as I read the RV magazines from New Zealand, I see that it's actually quite a standard feature, and that is the diesel heater, the diesel furnace. Yeah, it's it's kind of like our hydro hot at home, only it's much smaller and it puts, this, just puts out warm air, you know, as, uh, in a single spot, wasn't it, Ken? That's what I well, yeah. looked like under the bed, uh, which <laughs> we had to move the cushions out from under the bed so we could get the yes. heat out of there. But yeah. yeah, but instead of having a propane heater, they had a furnace. They had this. Uh, it was it was very compact size, and he told me that they came from uh, boats. Because that's the only kind of heater that you can have on a boat. It was kind of unusual, and it, it, it didn't really... You said it by the time instead of by the thermostat thing. I never did quite figure it out. I, I figured out how to turn it on, and it runs yeah. for an hour and then quits. So. Yeah. yeah, it was timed. And I think that's probably for boats, so that they don't overheat or something. And our rig didn't have air conditioning except while we were driving, but that was sufficient because I think we only ran the air two or three days. The New Zealand climate just is... You don't need air conditioning much. Yeah. Well, one thing that I thought was... Very very nice was the person that we rented from, and I don't know if this is true for them all, really tried to equip it with all the things we would need. It came with an atlas. It came with some reference books. We had a little table that we could set outside and chairs. He put in beach towels and games and cards. Yeah, we, we didn't should. necessarily use all those things, but I thought it came pretty complete for a family holiday. Right, and it had an outdoor table and, and, and chairs, as you mentioned, and he had games in it for us uh, to play, and it had a TV, yeah. which it's, is a 12-volt TV, which yeah. was something well, I've, you rarely see at home. They also had some uh, you know, basic stuff, tinfoil and salt and pepper. And yeah, but I'm not sure if that was I, I, I or whether yeah, it was I just I don't know if it was left over from the other campers because yeah. we left some things. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, First thing we did was buy an extra couple of rolls of toilet tissue, which we didn't even use because we yeah, used so the So the next people are going to be happy stuff, because it so comes but, equipped with toilet paper. And the fridge was small, as you would expect, but it had a little freezer compartment, and you were able to buy some ice cream yeah. for a special treat, yeah, and it, it kept it pretty it was well. Much, it was much bigger than our one in South Africa. The one in South Africa was a dorm-sized fridge. The only difference was this did not switch from gas to electric, and it left us a couple yeah, of times it, we forgot to switch it over. But it did have have a 12-volt heating system. It was an evaporative refrigerator like we're used to in our RVs, but it, whereas our one in South Africa was a compressor, but it had a 12-volt setting, which I've never seen at home. My first uh, camper yeah, yeah, had, but a long had, time ago, but that was yeah. quite a while ago, yeah, yeah. three-way. Uh, so you don't see a big refrigerator like this, and I don't know how well it worked, but we turned it on 
12 volt, which I assume ran off the alternator when it uh, yeah. when it when, needed when, to. When the, when the ignition was on, it, it ran. It, yeah. it ran the t- heated. Because yeah. if, if we went on a tour, we had to switch it to gas where we were parked to keep it cool. Otherwise, there was nothing going and on. And I was very shocked when we first got there. It has two bottles of, of well, LPG is what they call it. Right. And uh, <laughs> they were about five-pound bottles. Yeah. Yeah, they were small. They were, they were quite small, yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, we're going to have to be filling up every other day, but the one bottle that we had, we had two. One lasted bottle lasted the whole, the whole trip. Yeah. Yeah. And that ran, but it primarily just ran the refrigerator occasionally, occasionally and the stove. Cooking, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And for cooking and, the, and our famous, infamous broiler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for cooking all of our But steaks. it also was interesting, it had a manual switchover instead of oh, the yeah. automatic ones right. that were used. Were you surprised to see the backup camera? I was. I thought oh, yeah. that rig was so small that you wouldn't need <laughs> one. You would just have me out behind you waving my arms around, but that must have come in handy as well. Yeah, I like the backup camera. Yeah, well, and that's... Uh, we the, the particular company that we went with uh, guaranteed that these vehicles would be less than three years old, so they had some of the features that we didn't have in South Africa and that we are used to on our current Not motors. everybody used that backup camera, as my rig would attest, because yes, the no. back end was kind we won't of talk about that. demolished uh, <laughs> when we got it. But the good thing is, is, is that we we made it through the whole trip without having any accidents, and we didn't have any charges at the end that no, we were that, was... uh, that we were responsible for. So even though yours had a big ding on the back, that wasn't your response. It wasn't your but, fault. But everybody in the park walked by and said, "Oh, this guy's yeah. the driver." <laughs> but we did have a few close calls with trees and things. Uh, but I high. have to say, the two of you did a yeoman job, and I admire you both very much <laughs> for all the driving that you did and how well you did it. How many miles did we do, Ken? Well, we did about 5,200 kilometers, so that's, I think, 3,500 miles or so. So we did pretty well, and I think uh, we can be happy with our experience, and we saw a lot, and uh, it's been a good experience. So we will end it there and say thank you for joining us, and we will maybe hear your voices again in another podcast. And thank you for traveling with us. Yes, indeed. Thank Barb and Gary for uh, joining us in the podcast, and we will probably hear from them again. And uh, that kind of brings us to the end of uh, of this podcast because we're getting tired. <laughs> and remember, it's tomorrow, and if it's tomorrow, then it must be too late for you to be listening. <laughs> when you cross the international date line, it gets when we so call home, confusing. You know, it's it's a bizarre experience because we call home on Monday, and it's actually Sunday afternoon, and. They're talking about what did you do today, and we say, "Do you mean? I mean, do you mean Sunday or do you mean Monday, which is the day we're calling on?" I just phoned my sister today, and she said it was so funny to read my blog about the day that she's about to begin and that I've already finished. <laughs> so we're still having an interesting time with that particular aspect of things, but uh, otherwise, uh, things have been going very well, and the RVing experience uh, has done us well. And I think we we spent. Um, 15 days in the South Island. 16. 16 days in the South Island and 14 days in the North Island. In the North Island. And I think that was about right. Uh, Overall, we could have spent a few more days, especially if you want to do trekking and and other extended activities. But basically, for the sightseeing type of trip that we did, we did well. And we we only planned the first week. The rest of it, we kind of did as it came. And uh, we were able to take advantage of uh, rainy days. We would drive. And sunny days, we would sit. Not sit, but we would uh, stay. Be outside in, in, enjoying the scenery. Yeah, we'd be outside. So it's really nice to be able to take advantage of the uh, of the good weather. And, of course, having the, the motorhome and the 
thought that you could do freedom camping at any time in case things got a little dicey uh, gave us the confidence to just do the itinerary as uh, it came along. And we would talk to people and they would say, oh, you got to go here or there, and we would do that. And uh, that's another nice aspect because these uh, campgrounds, as you just heard, are very, very communal, and uh, everybody has a nice uh, chance to chat with each other and share uh, interesting experiences. Uh, We should mention that we have not found a lot of Americans. No. That uh, most of the people that we have visited or that we have um, run into have been European, non-English Europeans, speakers. I would Many say. Many Germans, uh, Swedish. Eastern uh, Europeans, Eastern too. Europeans, right. Italians, yeah, and not many children, which is, I guess, to be expected at this time of year. The campgrounds have been nicely full, I yeah. would say, and, and very different than the United States in that the campgrounds don't fill up until seven or eight at night because everybody has to use their vehicle as a transportation. So you don't you don't come in to the campground until fairly late unless you're staying at the end of your days. touring day. At the end of your touring day, so the campground offices are used to. A line of uh, a giant influx, influx of as people. it's getting dark. Yeah, and uh, as we mentioned, with just the electric hookup, it's uh, you just pull in and plug in, and and you're pretty much set for the evening. Put up the TV antenna, if that's uh, of interest to you. Well, I can think of a few places in New Zealand that I would still like to go, okay. and I guess I'm kind of glad because that'll give us an excuse to come, come back. back. It's a wonderful country. So, what would some of those places be? Um, the Coromandel Peninsula we didn't get to. Yeah. Uh, we d- we debated whether we should take an RV caravan. And uh, I'm glad we didn't. And I'm glad we didn't also. You uh, can be more is... efficient when you're traveling with a small group, and you can go at the pace that feels right for you. Yeah, in many of the campgrounds that we stayed, I wouldn't accommodate uh, a large 24-van caravan. And we did look at the itineraries of the RV caravans, and they gave us some ideas about things to do and, and what order to do things in. But it's just as easy to make it up yourself, just like you would if you were doing your own trip in your RV at home. And I'm sure we missed some things, uh, some travel experiences, uh, but we did take a lot of tours, and I think that was a smart thing to do. You know, we didn't necessarily drive everywhere. We would, uh, in many cases, we were actually picked up by a bus at the campground that we were staying at and taken off for the day, like the 90-mile the beach day. And, and a lot of boat tours, too, because you're never tours. very far from the been, coast. This hasn't been cheap, and we should mention maybe a little bit about the dollar well, before we yeah, we've been here. very lucky that we've the dollar has lucky. gotten stronger and stronger while we've been so here. So things seem to be reasonably priced. But if we were here uh, three or four months ago, it might have been a, a totally different story. When we started planning this trip, uh, the New Zealand dollar was worth uh, seventy-eight cents, and right now the New Zealand dollar is worth fifty cents. So that means we've picked up almost a third of the value of. Um, a third, it's like getting a 30% discount on everything that you buy, including food and fuel. And that's very noticeable. And that's, and that's very <laughs> noticeable, right? Because the tours were not cheap in terms of uh, their dollar denomination. You know, a tour might be, well, easily over $100. But when you discount that down to $50, that makes yeah. a little bit of difference. $100 in New Zealand dollars. Uh, yeah, of course, everything is always. And the campgrounds ran, and this was kind of a surprise to us, they ran Right around $40 a night. New Zealand dollars. New Zealand dollars, which meant $20 a night for us, which, considering that it was just electric, well, but I don't know, we had nice Nice shower, facilities nice and facilities. laundry facilities. And several of them had kind of an interesting scheme where they you paid by the... 
person. Uh-huh. So it was twenty dollars per person uh-huh. per night, which Instead would get of, expensive if you brought a family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they had some different plans than. And a lot of the campgrounds we stayed in didn't allow pets either, which I none, thought was interesting. None had pets. Yeah. yeah, that was a big surprise. Yeah. So you're going to have to leave your kitties and dogs at home. Well, they don't want to fly <laughs> over here either. Those of you visiting from the United States, and uh, save your money for the for the plane ride because it's a long one. That's for sure. So uh, we just got off uh, a fairly well, not really a long flight, but uh, a flight that would be comparable from to go from Chicago to L.A. at about three and a half hours to go from Auckland to Sydney, and uh, we have landed in a big city, which is a huge change, a from, shock to the system, uh, a shock to the system, and we are now navigating uh, the city uh, in a very different way because we have only our feet and no RV, and no our next month's episode might be a little bit late in being posted because uh, we will be on our 28-day cruise, which doesn't end until April. And so I will have almost no capability to upload. And I realize that even this episode's a little bit late. We're doing the best we can. Yes, we are. But we have only limited time and we have to see everything. So, dear listeners, please don't yell at us. Don't send us angry emails. We will do much better when we get home again. We promise. Even though it won't be as exciting. Um, But we'll have news of the RV world and other exciting things to talk about when we... The living in the city has been, uh, in the past day, has been a big change for us because uh, New Zealand has a very different flavor than Australia, at least so far, wouldn't you say? Lots of small towns. Lots of small towns. But we found everybody to be very friendly, and if you stand on a street corner with, with a, map, a map in your hand, somebody will come along and help you out, and uh, that's always helpful. So uh, they are tourist-friendly, and we, we really didn't meet anybody. Who and I hope if you angry. run into a tourist with a map in his hand and yeah. you're hometown that you are equally friendly because I want to have a good impression about the United States for the tourists that take the time to to come and visit us. And we want us to be good ambassadors and we certainly have met a lot of good ambassadors. So with that we will say we'll turn it over to next month and this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha the co-pilot saying goodbye, good day, good luck. Good day. Good day. Now we're in good day country. That's right. You don't say that in New Zealand.